One of our top shows in 2022 was our top 10 books from the year before. We're at it again. This time, our favorite 10 books in 2022, along with several honorable mentions. Our producer and host generally doesn't like to be the guy answering questions, but I think you're going to enjoy this discussion. So the top 10 books of 2022, that's coming up next here on CFO Bookshelf. Mr. Producer, Mr. Host, looking forward to this. I'm going to give it my best shot, but just be easy on me. By the way, you call me G2 here in the studio. Are you calling me G2 or Drew? Uh, That's a good question. Both. But don't call me G1. (laughs) That's fine. That's fine. So, big question of 2022. How many books did you read? Drew, uh, G2, you know I hate that question, so I defer, or or I'd rather I pass. To me, it's just not a relevant question. No no one cares. And and besides, I like talking about the number of books I've read the same as you like talking about being a decathlon national champion. So I can't tell you. So what do you mean you can't tell? Because when I say a number... I can just hear people saying, doesn't he have a life or should I be reading that many books? So uh, again, it's just not a relevant question. Uh, I believe it's very relevant. We're doing a top 10 list. Doesn't it make sense that you're not reading just 11 or 12 books here? So how, how many books did you actually read? Okay, okay, okay. I think I read 95 books. Wait a second. What do you mean you think you read 95? Well... When I was updating my lists, again, there's more than one list for the show, I knew of two titles that I needed to be in my honorable mentions, and I couldn't find them. I even did a search on my worksheet, and apparently I didn't include them on my list of books I read. So I think I think 95 is really close. That number might be slightly, just slightly <laughs> higher. So should I be reading that many books? Okay, finally. Now that's a better question. It's the right one. So the, the answer is no, 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 not at all. I, I have a theory. I have a theory why younger people don't read. We are burned out from school, and we equate a book with a college textbook. Plus, we're busy in the new job. We're trying to get our feet well-established under us. And in public accounting, I think I maybe read four to five books a year, and that probably included a Clive Cussler book, whom I was a big fan of when I was younger. When I left public accounting, it was about – one a month thereabouts. And there were reasons for even that cadence. But then when I started consulting, the numbers expanded. So I would say for someone like you, G2, Drew, I think one a month is great, but there's no perfect answer for everyone. You've got to figure that out on your own. That, that's that's my answer. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. By the way, why are we starting with the top 10 first and then the number one book first. You'll probably hate my answer and make fun of it, but I started with a mind map, and in the upper right-hand corner, I have my 
top 10 and my top 10 starts with the number one. So that's the way I want to start this. The mind map is a big circle. It's a racetrack and I'm just going clockwise. So the section below the top 10 is honorable mentions. And as we do the sweep, the 360 sweep, there are a few other categories like books I didn't like and a few others. And by the way, if anyone wants to quit listening after the top 10, they can. So this is the way we're going to do our show. Okay, well, let's get started with your top 10. Yeah, hang on. Let me pull up my notes. And by the way, these are books I read in 2022. These are not books that were released. That'd be boring. There are probably just too many books that maybe should not have been published. But again, these are books I read in 2022. There may be one book in this top 10 that was published last year. So I just want to make sure... Uh, that that point is clarified. It seems so anticlimactic, but what's number one? Actually, it's a tie. Oh, okay. Tell me more. So here are the two books that are a tie. I enjoyed these books, and I also have recommended them to uh, friends, CEOs I work with. The first book, and just because I say this one first doesn't mean it's my favorite, I just have it listed first, Becoming Trader Joe by Patty Civilari and Joe Coulomb. Patty did the heavy lifting. Patty, a very dear friend of the late Joe Coulomb, and we did a show with Patty. It's one of my favorites last year. And the other is In-N-Out Burger by Stacey Perman. We had Patty, again, we had Patty on the show Uh, to talk about becoming Trader Joe. Joe, in my opinion, is a role model, the role model for innovation and entrepreneurship. He was a creator. He was not an imitator. When he started the Trader Joe's, he didn't know the grocery industry at all because he came out of the C-store world. And that, that is a completely different business model. You may think, oh, they, they, they both have food. No, it's different. Uh, He knew exactly who his customer was from the beginning, highly educated, but lowly paid. Uh, He shunned consultants. Uh, He read, he read the scientific American religiously and his favorite books included the guns of August, uh, the mythical man month and other media works of nonfiction. Uh, This, he was non-convictional and, or yeah, non-conventional, in his thinking. And if you're looking for that fast, quick Vern Harnish or Gino Wickman read, it ain't it. But you learn the mindset, in my opinion, of a true disruptor. This book was just a breath of fresh air. And very similar, I could say the same things about in and out Burger. It's, it's anti-convention or anti-here's how to grow a business. It's just none of that. Uh, this book spans three generations, starting with the founder of In-N-Out Burger. Uh, that would be Harry Snyder. They didn't want to grow. In fact, the only reason they started store number two was because they didn't want to lose good help. They wanted to be able to promote uh, those people from within. So they continue to grow uh, very slowly and deliberately. Uh, Rich and Guy then take over. Those are the two sons of Harry Snyder. Mainly it was Rick 
This guy, he loved racing cars, and, and there were some personal issues he was continually dealing with. It's almost like Rich, uh, when he came into this world, he was destined uh, to take over uh, for his father. Uh, Rich, great leader, uh, took quality and culture, I mean seriously, kept getting offers to sell out, just never, never happened. Uh, during the Rich Snyder era, he passed away in a tragic plane crash. And I didn't, I didn't know the story. So like this happens like, no, this, this can't be happening. Uh, but we still get glimpses of vendor relationships, supply chain, how new store locations were thought out uh, a little bit about cash flow. I think away those guys, they did. And I think they still do just generated a ton of profit. It's, it's like an ATM machine uh, in the QSR world. Uh, the book continues during the Guy Snyder leadership era for, I think, about seven years until he then passed away of an accidental drug overdose. And the remaining three or so chapters focus on Lindsay Snyder, who is the daughter of Guy. And at the time of her father's death, I think she was still a teen. And to her credit, to her credit, she's kept the chain private and many of the core convictions of her grandfather uh, they're still a staple at In-N-Out Burger. It, it's just a great entrepreneurial story, and it just goes to show you grow at the rate you want to, not somebody else's. Again, like the first one, this book it is a breath of fresh air. So, Okay, so what's number three? Number three is a book that I bet no one has heard of. I'd be, I mean, we have quite a few Texas listeners. I'd be curious if they know the book or the story. Number three is 12 Mighty orphans. So since it's number three, are you going to be interviewing him? No, sir. I cannot. Because? Because he's in prison. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you're saying you don't have the capabilities to go to prison <laughs> and, get, and get an interview out of him. No, I'm no Mike Wallace, Steve Croft, or Oprah Winfrey. Now, I'm sorry, this could be a very off-putting comment, but I generally don't like leadership books. I mean, just make me go to a 1978 St. Louis Cardinals game in late July in the bleachers. They were terrible back then. But I do like reading about great leaders in the context of a great story or through biographies. So it's a story based on, well, it's, it's a true story of some young orphans, undersized, uh, by the way, who play football, it takes place at the Masonic School for Orphans. Back then, it was in Fort Worth, Texas, when it was in existence during the Depression era. The football team, it was a joke until Rusty Russell comes to town, and they start winning and winning and winning. And Coach Russell, what an incredible leader of young men. Phenomenal human being. And not just in football, because there were college football programs that started emulating and using his playbook. But again, he was a leader of young men. It is a feel-good story. It's one of innovation, triumph, and doing the right thing when no one is looking. Definitely the best narrative nonfiction book I read in 2022. Okay, so number four, what do we have? 
CEO Excellence by Carolyn Dewar and her co-authors, by far the best management book I read in 2022. I dived into this book with extremely low expectations because I'm, I mean, sometimes I get bored reading management books, but as I dive in, this is a good book. I did interview Carolyn this past year. What a kind, thoughtful person, deep insights, and she's very wise beyond her young years. And if you were to ask six CEOs what they do, or, or pick a number, 8, 12, you'll get six, eight, 12 different answers. Or they'll tell you what they should be, what you should be doing as a CEO in six, eight, 12 different answers. And by the way, that's how the authors came to write this book. They interviewed hundreds of CEOs for their research. And when I finished the book, my first thought was Peter Drucker would have enjoyed it. Uh, the book, by the way, it applies to those in private industry. Carolyn agrees with that. And there's also a story in the book about a CEO's humility. That particular story on humility, it's one of the best I've ever heard or read. So this book is my number four. So you loved Built to Fail. Uh, didn't you have Alan Payne on the show before? Uh, you are right. And I loved that conversation. His book is Built to Fail. It is number five. Uh, we learned the real reasons that Blockbuster failed. And Alan kept saying this over and over on our interview on the podcast a few months ago. And in the book, Blockbuster did not fail. The leadership failed. Netflix did not kill Blockbuster. The leadership killed off Blockbuster. So the problem with Blockbuster is they were great at growing. I mean, that's what they were great at, expanding, scaling. Blockbuster, they never invested in themselves. They knew exactly how to open 10, 20, 50, 100 stores quickly. They just couldn't run them. That wasn't their thing. They were not operators. There's not this big-time COO playbook on how to run the store effectively after it's open one year, two years after. Now, there was one exception, and part of the book is Alan Payne talking about the stores that he owned and ran until the, the very end. So for a first-time writer, this book is very, very well done. So number six, I believe this author has been on your show. That's right. Dirk Smiley of The Business of Tomorrow. And this is one of the best biographies I read in 2022. It's going to stick with me, mainly because of the respect I now have for Harry Guggenheim. Now, I knew who Benjamin Guggenheim was. He's, if, if you are a Titanic fan and have read books on the Titanic, You'll recognize the name Benjamin Guggenheim. He went down on the Titanic. So I, I knew about him. I just did not know about Harry. And he was far more than a visionary. He acted on his vision. So if Harry had to write a resume, and when I finished the book, I went back and I just, I tried to write down everything this guy accomplished. His resume, if he had to write one, He'd, he'd never get to the end. He, in the, he, he was the spark plug 
to the aviation industry, not the Wright brothers. And if you read the book, you'll know why I'm using the word spark plug. And what we know about science and physics of rocketry today, we owe our debts to Harry because he's the guy that funded much of the early uh, testing and research on rocket science. The Vanderbilt generations that followed the patriarch, they squandered their wealth. Harry did not. Now, he spent a lot of money, but he did it in such a way that all of us today, today are reaping the rewards, his rewards that he invested in for years to come. I love the book, The Business of Tomorrow. So as I look at the next three, it appears that all of these authors have been on your show. So tell me about those. Uh, yep, you are correct, Drew. Number seven is The Intrepid uh, Brotherhood. It's a book uh, we're finding. I, I think finding the right category is difficult to place this book into. It's, it's one man's run-in with a narcissistic boss. And the author is Gordon Graham. Uh, he was a whistleblower. It's it's several books in one. And we, by the way, we just released the show a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to go into many details, but it is definitely number seven. Enjoyed the book. It was even an unexpected uh, surprise. So I'm glad I read it. Glad I met Gordon. He's a phenomenal, fantastic individual and uh, someone I, I look up to uh, at this juncture in my life. So that is number seven, the intrepid brotherhood. You really love number eight. And I say that because I know you told some other CFOs that you really enjoyed this book. That's right, Drew. Number eight is Play Bigger. And we had one of the authors on the show, Al Ramadan. Again, I won't get into too many details. Uh, a few years ago, I did read a lot of marketing-centric books. And I'm not talking the pop marketing type books, uh, ones that made you think. And then I quit for a while. And then this year or this past year, I picked up Play Bigger and it, it just resonated. Uh, I, I keep thinking about uh, the book that Peter Thiel wrote, Zero to One. And when I think of categories, I think of zero to one versus one to N, as Peter Thiel talks about. So I, I think that's why the book Play Bigger just, it resonates Again, I'm not going into the details because it is about becoming a category king, and I would recommend listening to the show with Al. Al is a great communicator, and it's just a fun, fun, fun visit. And by the way, I don't know if I said this, but Al and I actually talked for about an hour two weeks prior to our interview. I don't do that with a lot of guests, but we did, and we hit it off, and he's someone I hope to stay in touch with. But again, I, I love the book, Play Bigger, number eight. On number nine, I don't believe you were expecting this to to meet any great expectations here, but what was so great about this book, number nine? Yeah, I I had low expectations for John Rossman's book, The Amazon Way. To me, it just seemed like a book that's had been written before and not even necessarily about Amazon, just the type of content uh, that, that, that was in it. So I went into it with, yeah, this will be okay. I'm, I'm finally going to read it. He, he worked at Amazon during the earlier years, and many of the learning principles, they were just so refreshing to read. These are learning principles. Uh, think of them as the core values in your business or the business that you run. Uh, 
at Amazon, they called them the learning principles. And that's what John wrote about. And I admit I'm sometimes, well, actually a lot, a cynic with management books. And even though this particular book is heavy in tactics, a mind shift will be needed on some of the concepts that you read. A lot of us have have read about this. It's been blogged about a ton. But again, I love the concept of the day one mindset. It was was just refreshing to hear it from John's perspective who worked at Amazon. The long narratives was remarkable and cash flow over margins. And again, great read. It's fast and simple. So it's The Amazon Way by John Rosman, number nine. And by the way, he's a good, good writer. Number 10. So this is one of the last books that you read in 2022. What made this book so special for you? The name of the book, Almost Perfect by Pete Peterson. It's the story of the word processor software, Word Perfect. One of our guests uh, was a friend of the author, or still is, and so I picked it up. I take notes. I take a lot of notes when I'm listening uh, to a guest when I do an interview. I don't know if that's distracting to them. So when 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 this guest mentioned Pete Peterson, I thought, okay, I, I'm going to look him up on Amazon and get the book. And I got it in the month of December. So I liked reading the history of the early software era in that book for both personal and business productivity. And it's, it is your typical startup story. Big idea, big idea crashes or starts to grow legs. Then there's growth. Then you got money tensions. Oh, you got people tensions. You got marketing issues. Oh, did I say people issues? And then there's more growth. Then there's lots of money. And then there are other issues and they figured those out. I, I enjoyed it. And it rounded out my top 10. Fun, fun read. So now that we've rounded out the top 10, let's move to our next topic, and that is the topic of fiction. Right, right, right. And just an opinion, I feel at times fiction is not stressed enough with business readers. I hate to say you should or we should, but I think it's healthy to be reading fiction. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. And fiction was one of your themes for this year, am I correct? Right. I no longer have book reading goals. I never say I'm going to read 25 books or 50 books. I, 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 I quit doing that some time ago. What I do and have is themes. So at the beginning of every year, I just think of the themes that I'm going to focus on. And one of those was to read more fiction. It actually started a couple of years ago. I just stink at sticking to these themes. But in 2022, I did a much uh, better job. So I did roll the dice with a John Steinbeck book, and I read East of Eden, and I absolutely loved it. Great, great, great character development throughout the book. Now, there is one dark theme that threads its way from the beginning to the end, but that dark theme, it leads to some just brilliant, wisdom-centric dialogue in the story. And by the way, there are a couple of business threads in the book. And that was cool. But the business stuff is not the main thing. For example, vegetable refrigeration on rail cars and the research that's mentioned in the book behind the idea. But this is a book I did not want to end. 
five stars. I have read a couple of his a uh, couple of his books, Grapes of Wrath, all time classic. If you have not read that, then give it a give it a, uh, a listen, give it a read. It is depressing, so just be forewarned. Any of John Steinbeck's material, it's not easy to go through. It's it's a it's a time pass, and it's tough. We'll be right back. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Oh, oh, by all means, I agree with their comment on Grapes of Wrath. I never read it. I saw the movie and it was just incredibly depressing. Uh, East of Eden, it's not depressing. Did you read that thinking that you want to read more of him? Oh, by all means, definitely. I have already one more teed up for 2023. Moving on, I read my first Ken Follett book. It's been more than five or six years ago, but there were several people in my strategic coach group who loved reading him. So I found a title that had a heavy business theme. Well, not a business theme. It just had a strong business backstory involving bankers in the 1700s. And I found that part of the book very real and intriguing, interesting. Uh, There is a great protagonist, actually two protagonists in the book that you just embrace. And the antagonists, they were so easy to dislike. I'm not for sure, though, why the writer had to include some stuff throughout the book. What do you, okay, what do you mean by, let, let's tell our audience what you mean by stuff. Is this a, is this a dad comment? I, I'm not sure what a dad comment is, or maybe I do, the way you're asking it. Remember, I'm the analytical guy with the personality of a desktop surface at times. So of the salacious scenes in the book, to me, they just seemed over the top and just not needed whatsoever. And and I don't, I'm not a prude, at least I hope not. I, I just thought it was just stupid writing in some parts of the book. Outside of that, I, I enjoyed it. I was hooked from the beginning to the end. So you also read The Maid. Well, I didn't read it. I listened to it. Mrs. G and I listened to it on a trip to Little Rock uh, back and forth. It's about a seven-hour trip one way, so we were able to get through it. And I do like books that are off-kilter uh, just a, a little bit. Uh, the The protagonist is someone that we're going to be pulling for, rooting for, I mean, it's, it's almost like you're walking in her footsteps. Uh, she's on the autism spectrum, and she's in the middle of a murder case. There are times it's, it's just hilarious. There are times it's serious. It's times it's thought-provoking. Uh, if you liked A Man Called Uva, which is one of my favorite books a few years ago, 
You, you'll love this book. You had me so intrigued by The Maid when you talked to me about it. I I read that as well. Really enjoyed. Again, it's it's just it's such a different outlook on a you know a mis you know kind of a mystery you know police investigation and a, a a point of view that we are not used to reading. So great recommendation. I did enjoy that as well. I also read Trust Hernan Diaz. Uh, recommended by Mary Childs of Planet Money, who was on her show. And I'll just say it's an interesting book structure. I, I give it a three overall, but five stars for the creativity of the author and the way he told the story. And by the way, he was on Seth Meyers' show talking about it. It's a really good interview. Oh, okay. That's very neat. And then we also have The Warehouse. It's a partly dystopian novel. Well, I guess how can it be partly? It's dystopian. Uh, think Amazon, maybe 50, 60 years from now. And and the business part of the book was very, very cool. And then we also had the the author on. It was the first time we've ever had a fiction writer on the show to talk about it. So for someone who, who doesn't read a lot of fiction, people like me are going to find most fiction just fascinating. So if you read a lot of fiction, it may be a three for you. For me, it's it's higher, higher, it's it's rated higher because I just don't read that much fiction. So it's a fun read. So I I I do recommend it, especially because of the business aspect uh, for it. So so because you don't read a whole lot of fiction, what has to be what what are you looking for? that's going to get you into one of those books because you read so few of it. What, what catches your eye on these titles? You know, that's a great question. It's, it's hard to answer. I usually wait for recommendations uh, from others, but other than that, it's mainly, I just get lucky. I mean, the maid was just, you know, I just did a search. Well, I wasn't searching for anything. I just went to audible, just started scanning book titles and it's like, Oh, this looks good. I will refer back to, in my opinion, the three purposes of a book. They apply; it, it applies to fiction, it applies to nonfiction, but especially with fiction, the number one, the first purpose is to entertain. Next comes to educate. Next comes to inspire, and that again, those three apply to nonfiction as well. But you might change the order to educate, to inspire, to entertain. If you can find fiction meeting all three of those characteristics to entertain, to educate, to inspire, that is a home run book. My favorite book of all time, number one book, Uncle Tom's Cabin. It hits all three of those. Inspiration, probably first, education next. And then there was a little bit of entertainment value. Definitely don't read that book for entertainment, but it fits those. For narrative nonfiction, that happens a lot, and you're going to hear more about that in a little bit. But I usually don't know those three have been hit until after I've read the book. So that's why it's hard to answer your question, what am I looking for? I can just say, in retrospect, hopefully it's hit those three in looking for fiction. So obviously, we have gone through the top 10, and we know not everyone can be in the top 10. So let's take a look at your honorable mentions. This is by Jeffrey Marks, Season Alive by Jeffrey Marks, one of my favorite interviews of the year in 2022. And by the way, I, th- I think we did the interview on a Friday. 
and then release the show that day. We usually have about 13 shows at any given time in inventory. And since this uh, interview had been teed up for several weeks, we'd already planned it. Interview gets released that same weekend. We typically release on Fridays and Saturdays. So I think we did the interview on a Friday. And by the way, he was another person that I talked to for about an hour or more two weeks prior just to get to know each other. And, and again, just a, he's someone I, I would enjoy hanging out with uh, if he lived in, say, my neck of the woods. He called me the next morning. The next morning he called me to say he loved it. I, I really think he was moved. So it's a special book. I'll say this for Season of Life. You'll never think of the word coach or success in the same way after you've read that book. Highly recommend. The reason it's not on the top 10, it, it should be. It's because this is a book I will read again, probably maybe this year again. It's that good. Also on my honorable mention list is winning the brain game. And by the way, I know Ron Baker listens. A shout out to you. Uh, I, I love Ron Baker's books. I love his podcast that he does with Ed Kless, The Soul of Enterprise. He turned me on to Matthew May several years ago. So this is my second title, uh, Winning the Brain Game. Uh, it's essentially seven ways our thinking gets derailed. If you like Daniel Kahneman, then you will like Winning the Brain Game. I think it's a great follow-up book. By the way, if you're going to read Matthew May, I still love Elegant Solution. I think you read that book first, then you read Winning the Brain Game. You will not be disappointed. Another book on my honorable mention list is someone that we've had on the show, Will Gadara. He wrote the book Unreasonable Hospitality. Now, there is a reason he didn't make it to the top 10. Not a lot of new material, but it's, it's, it's a topic where we have a new voice given to the topic of hospitality. Uh, some people will say, well, I've read Danny Meyer, and that's a good starting point. I, I, I actually now like maybe his, his book, Unreasonable Hospitality, better than what Danny has written. And, and that's not a knock against Danny. Um, as I was listening to him and even reading the book, I kept thinking, this guy's got to be 90 years old, 80 years old. This is like his writing is grandfatherly. But he's such a young, young man. So he's figured out a lot of things. He just, it's, it, the book has wisdom just in it all over the place. So highly recommend the book, Will Gadara, Unreasonable Hospitality. When you, when you read a book and it's something new for you, does it cause you to kind of go down a rabbit hole of that type of topic? Maybe it's something you haven't even read before and it interests you and you find a way to connect it to, you know, your yes. business, your life. Yes, a lot. Yes, frequently. If it's a good book, I'll stop to re-reference material or I'll start thinking about it. I mentioned Ron Baker a few minutes ago. He's a great example. His books always take me longer to read because he'll mention something and I'll start reading case studies he mentions. And I don't know if I would call that a rabbit hole. It's just, Hey, I, somebody brought something up. I want to continue that thread on my terms. Uh, Matthew may is another example uh, of this. 
Uh, when I read his first book, An Elegant Solution, I did that regularly. That's why the book took me longer to, to read, because I kept following up on things he'd bring up. Uh, five or six years ago, I read American Icon, one of my, today, one of my favorite business books. And that led me to reading no fewer than seven other titles uh, of that one. And again, we're not reading for facts. We're reading to broaden our understanding or to unlearn what's possibly holding us back. So, so again, Drew, that's a great question. You're a fan of Roger Martin, is that correct? Uh, business readers typically cite Playing to Win as a favorite business book. And by the way, Roger is a co-author of it. And I wanted to discuss that book with him. So when I reached out to his, either his publicist or communications director, they said, well, Mark, he has a new book coming out. And so about 12 weeks before A New Way to Think came out, I got to interview him. And it was a, I really enjoyed uh, that conversation. What a very humble uh, man and a very deep thinker. He reminds me a little of Peter Drucker. Uh, I would call him, I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there's, this is a real term. I would call him a very deeply analytical uh, thinker. But again, a new way to think is certainly an honorable mention for 2022. Oh, I, I know about this next title that you're about to bring up. You love this title. Tell me more about it. G2, I'm pulling up my mind map here. So here we go. We have The Founders by Jimmy Sony. This is a rare case where I both read it and listened to it. I won't elaborate because uh, we had on Jimmy earlier in the year. By the way, he would be a great uh, communication director. Uh I love the TV show The West Wing a number of years ago. He'd be a great he'd be a great chief of staff. Uh, he'd be a great communications director. He'd be a great speech writer. Uh, he has a lot of energy, friggin' smart, uh, great personality. Uh, it was an excellent book. It's it's the story of PayPal, the history of PayPal, and you're going to learn things about it that you may not learn before. In my opinion, and I don't think this is. An overstatement. I think anyone, anyone in Silicon Valley, anyone in, that's a startup, read the story of PayPal. It was an act. the The PayPal as we know it today was an accident. It was it was actually an investor that said, "Have you thought about doing this instead?" Because they were thinking about that they they were wanting to just beam money over from one Palm Pilot to another. And one of the investors said, "Well, what if someone leaves their Palm Pilot at home?" Or what if the software doesn't work? Why can't you just do this on a on a on a on a web page? So w- one of the founders goes home for a few hours, pounds out the, the the this user interface, and it ends up being the precursor to PayPal. It's just a cool story, and and it's based on a ton of of interviews. Even Elon Musk was interviewed for three or four hours, I believe it was, on a Saturday morning. So. This is not just content that Jimmy Stoney just found through other articles, uh, books, journals. I mean, this is firsthand account. And just just a thumbs up. The founders recommend it. It's an honorable mention. And the, the next book I'll mention in my honorable mentions is Fourth Generation Management by Brian Joyner. Joyner. And this book was uh, referred to me. Uh, I... After I left public accounting, I spent a lot of time uh, in major automotive and OEM. And so 
there are a lot of manufacturing books in the 1990s I loved. Uh, eventually, I found Donald Wheeler and just became a fan of his books. Uh, even though I had to take, like a lot of us in finance, I think I took nine hours of statistics. It was hard uh, for me, even though I'd done very well in my math courses. Stats was just this big, humongous abstraction. And then Donald Wheeler comes around and is like, why couldn't he have been my stats teacher? So I love Donald Wheeler. I think I have almost every book of his. If you like Donald Wheeler, you'll love Brian Joyner because Donald is just giving us the nuts and bolts. Here, here's how to measure stuff the right way. Brian comes along and there's a little bit of Donald Wheeler in it, but he's got story in there. So he talks about uh, fourth generation management. In my opinion, we're on generation number five. So again, if you like Wheeler, you're going to like uh, Joyner. I don't know if the book is still a publication. Uh, you may have to get a, a used copy. It, there's definitely not a Kindle uh, version, but I, I did enjoy it. And by the way, for those of you all who love culture, don't worry. When you hear the word management, that can be a turnoff. But again, culture is hit hard. Uh, it's it's given a, a lot of weight uh, in, in his book. So the name of the book, Fourth Generation Management by Brian Joyner. You loved getting to interview Mary Childs, didn't you? Uh, yeah, that that's correct. Well, let me back up a little bit. I wanted to read Bond King because I knew of someone who worked under Bill Gross. So at first, I was oblivious uh, to the author because I only uh, listened to about four podcasts. I'm sorry, Mary. Hers is not one of them. Now, I have gone back and I've been picking and plucking uh, certain shows from Planet Money. So I've had people say, oh, Mary Child, she's on Planet Money. So... Yeah, I did get to interview her. That was a ton of fun. She is a pro. I mean, what a fun, fun interview that was. Uh, if it's okay to use the word fun, that may have been one of the uh, one of the cool interviews I did. I've been able to interview several people who have a, a strong TV or radio background. Uh, Howard Green, the author of Railroader, one of my all-time favorite uh, interviews, has a TV background. And that guy, a pro, I mean... First of all, he looks the part, but he has a great, great voice. So anyway, Mary, same way, same ilk. And so um, Bond King, Mary Childs, it's in my honorable mentions. It looks like you have two more left that are honorable mentions. Yeah, there are, there are two last titles here. I've got Negotiations Simplified. And I will say this, and it's not because I interviewed the author, Chris Voss, the title, Never Split the Difference. Many business readers have read that book, love the book. I think Chris has done a master class, which I did not watch because I think I actually read Never Split the Difference uh, twice. You want my opinion on Never Split the Difference, a book on negotiation and negotiation simplified? Negotiation, negotiation simplified, I think it's better. It's, it's more practical. It's hands-on. A CEO can take just the first chapter and start applying it right now. Whereas Chris, I almost think you have to absorb and start to internalize some of the concepts. Negotiation simplified, uh, even though it's maybe a little bit recipe driven, I mean, there are tactics you can apply right now. So I would suggest 
if you haven't read, read either, read negotiation, negotiation Simplified first, then read Never Split the Difference. And then the last book on my honorable mention, and I know Jeff listens to the show, and the reason, Jeff, you are not in the top 10 is I've read a lot of corporate turnaround books uh, in the past. Yours now is my favorite because there are some really great stories uh, in the book. I always get these mixed up, pathos, logos, ethos. Is it pathos that has to do with, uh, with the emotions? You bring in stories, whereas some of the other books on Turnaround don't. So you, your book, Corporate Turnaround, is my favorite. By the way, any of us, anybody in the world of corporate finance, I don't know if I could say this for accountants, but anyone in corporate finance, this is a great way to learn your trade is to read about turnarounds. And Jeff nails it. And by the way, I didn't know, I still don't know to this day a lot about bankruptcy. And that's probably a good thing. It means some of my clients or any of my clients have, we've never had to go down that path. But Jeff has a chapter even on bankruptcy that I had not read that stuff before since college and commercial law classes and uh, very accessible, but excellent book. Corporate Turnaround Artistry. I think I haven't been giving the full title. Corporate Turnaround Artistry, again, by Jeff Sands. It's on my honorable mention list. Excellent book. Moving on, it looks as though you have another bucket of books you'd like us to talk about. Yes, I'm calling this my unexpected surprises list. Some of these titles were recommended. Others I just read on a whim, on on impulse. The first was recommended by Captain Charlie Plum. Do you know of him? I, I guarantee I have, yes. Yes, of course. Well, that that's good because everyone on the planet should listen to Captain Charlie Plum's story. I mean, everyone with a capital E. So if you haven't heard of him, then go to Google right now. Well, I- anyway, Captain Plum recommended Lessons Learned from the Hanoi Hilton. And I hope to have one of the authors on of that book this year. In short, why were the Vietnam POWs so resilient? And remember, these are people who were in prison four years, five years, six years, seven years. And here's what blew me away the most from that book. Only roughly 4% suffer from PTSD, which is such a tiny, tiny fraction compared to other cohorts. For example, firefighters. And many of these men went on to great careers who had been in prison for all these years and a handful even in the the national spotlight. It is a great, great read. And by the way, I I was blown away just getting to visit with Charlie Plum, Captain Charlie Plum. He's one of my heroes. I first encountered him, uh, I think I want to, I want to say 2000, 2001. I first heard his story. He actually even spoke in Moberly, Missouri at a commencement that I didn't hear because I didn't have any kids uh, there graduating at the time. But if you're curious, here's why I keep referring to him as the captain. Just a little backstory. First of all, he was a captain. And his assistant told me, Mark, it's not Charlie Plum. It's 
Captain Plum or Captain Charlie Plum. So I continue to refer to him as Captain Plum. All right, so we got a couple more books on this list. Go ahead and share those. I'm not sure why I picked up Dan Levy's Maxims for Analytical Thinking. It only has, oddly, 4.4 stars on about 400 reviews. It also looked like a book that I've read before. I'd say half of it is very good. The other half, eh, it's okay. But, you know, some of the bullet points, good decisions, bad outcomes, uh, the power of three. I like the AmeriCorps and the Swiss Army Knife story, uh, Bayesian updating. I'll stop there. It's just the kind of material that makes for a really good talks at Google. So it's it's on my unexpected likes uh, for the year. Now, wait a minute. You have outcomes over output on this list, but I know the author was on your show. You knew about this book. So why does this show up in this category? Yeah. Have you ever looked at a book title and thought, oh, I don't need to read the book? I, I That's it. I've read the book. I see the title. Uh, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, Seth Godin's book, Purple Cow. Uh, I think the title is something like Making Your Business Being Remarkable. I don't know the exact subtitle, but now that's a book with, it's a, it's a really good title and I think it's a terrible book. It's just, I don't, there's, 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 there's no meat, but if you just look at the title, it's like, that's all you need. You know, just, just focus on the title and go, go write your own book. And that's kind of the way I think of outcomes over output. Okay. There's, okay. That's a great title. I can run with that. Uh, it was recommended to me by Ben Lamort, who's been on the show, I think, three times. He'd recommended it on his last interview with me. So I finally read it this year, and dang, it is packed with great insights and wisdom. And by the way, he's not some guy in this ivory tower at an Ivy League school. He, he's a UX guy in the software industry. So I just loved his perspective uh, it's easily a five-star book for me. I just wasn't expecting it to be so. So you have a sports book listed, Maria Sharapova. So I, I try to read one sports autobiography or biography a year. And since Open by Agassi is one of my top books of all books, I thought, okay, I'm going to give another tennis player a chance. She grew up in Russia and she had been playing tennis since she could carry a, a racket. Uh, Her and her father came over to the U.S., Florida, when she was six, seven, I'm not for sure. They couldn't speak English, and the father had to find work. And they had, I mean, they came over to the U.S. with maybe, I want to say, $300 U.S. And then, I'm going to skip ahead, within seven years, as Sharapova turns pro, but the story in between, I guess I just kept thinking, how are they going to get through this cash crunch? And, but something would happen and they could go on from the, another few months and they were positive. They ran into the right people at the right time. Uh, I don't think this story happens in the era we live in today. Uh, the strangers that they encountered, they ended up helping them. I just wonder, could that have happened in 2022? I I wish I could say yes. I don't know, Drew. I, I have doubts. This is it was a, just an interesting story. I did like, especially the first two thirds 
of the book. The last third was okay, but that's because all the drama was in the first hundred pages or so. Looks like you have one more on the list here. Yeah, I, I thought the book Talent by Romstron would be, well, I'll say, I just thought it'd be boring. It wasn't. If you are in the M&A space or private equity, this book is a gem. If you're in the culture space, you'll gain many validations of what you already know and believe. I won't add much more because we did interview him this past year. And again, the book, it's Talent, the Market Cap Multiplier. Wasn't expecting it to be good. It was very good. Okay, moving on. Why are we talking about rereads? Tell me why you have that here. Because, because G2, that was another theme in 2022. It started in 2021, but I failed miserably at it. So I wanted to focus on some rereads. And by the way, a good book is worth talking about to others. A great book is worth rereading. So I told myself, don't worry that you're not reading what you haven't read yet. Just go back to the well of your favorites. And so that's what I started doing. And I'm going to continue doing this probably for the next 10 to 15 years. So I started with another favorite writer, Dr. Edward Hess. By the way, he's been a guest on the show. Probably uh, business books, ranking business books, smart growth, probably my top 10. It's definitely the best book I've ever read for businesses who want to grow. You've heard me use the word word wisdom a lot uh, in this conversation. It's the foundation for, I also read uh, Extraordinary Circumstances by Cynthia Cooper. Uh, That's because I did do a show on that title and I did it with the former CFO of HealthSouth, but it was still a great reread. It's interesting when, by the way, when you reread books, how sometimes it's like, this is just, it's fresh this time around as it was uh, the first time. And also you heard me talk about turnarounds. If you work in corporate finance, the best way to learn your trade, read books about turnaround. Well, I would say the same thing about really good investment books, especially in the value investing space. So I picked up one that I really liked. I think it was in between books and I wanted a quick read. I wanted a fun read. And again, because rereads was a theme I picked 100 Baggers. Highly recommend it. The author has a new book out. I would start with 100 Baggers first. And I hope to get him on the show in 2023. And by the way, I did not aim to reread Lencioni's Three Sides of a Miserable Job, uh, but I reread that one too. I think I know the story behind the Three Signs of a Miserable Job. Yeah, I recommended that book to someone you and I both know. And it's a book I felt like would be helpful in a certain situation. And so because I had her read it, that's why I ended up, well, maybe I should reread this myself. And I'm not the only one who says this. I actually know someone at the table group, which is Lencioni's uh, management arm, a consultant management arm. I've heard him say, this is by far his favorite Lencioni book. And I agree with that as I've read all of his, his titles. Moving on, I see a I see a couple titles here that I'm pretty familiar with, and I know Boys in the Boat has when when I talk to you about just favorite books, Boys in the Boat comes up almost first, if not in the in the first couple books that you mention. So this is on your list again this year. Yeah, between it and Endurance, 
two of my all-time favorites. I first listened to The Boys in the Boat shortly after it came out. So this is really the first time I read it, but I'm still putting it under my rereads uh, bucket. We don't have time to cover the entirety of the book. It's just, that's, a, that's, a, that's a show. But remember my three qualities of a great book, entertaining, educational, inspiring. It nails all three of those. Depression-era kids, rowing, Washington University, winning, the 36 Olympics, plenty of drama. It's all there. Oh, flawed characters, antagonists, protagonists. It reads like fiction. Uh, The epilogue is special. You have Friday Night Lights here. That looks interesting. Mrs. G and I are empty nesters. So about once a year, we'll pick or watch a series together. For whatever reason, we pick Friday Night Lights. And I'm even thinking uh, this is a show for teens. So I think we'd watch maybe one or two episodes and move on, find something else. Well, wrong. Great, great writing, great casting, great stories. And you know how some of these uh, script writers are at tugging at your emotions. Boy, they do a really good job of that through the entire, was it four seasons? So after it was over, I wanted to revisit Buzz Bissinger's book, which inspired the movie, which I thought the movie was, I didn't like the movie, had had a great cast, just did not like the movie, but it was also then the inspiration for the show. And if you've read the book, you probably know the history of how it came about. But at first, the rough draft, the original rough draft had about a gazillion pages to it, and it wasn't good. It just didn't flow. But the author had a great editor who believed in him. So the project continued. And even this, I didn't know at the time. Friday Night Lights essentially gave birth to the genre narrative nonfiction as we know it today. I did not know that. Again, this is a book I had listened to, so rereading it was like reading it for the first time, even though I knew the story. It is a rock-solid book. Again, very, very good writing. Looks like you got a couple more here. Yes, Losing the Signal. It's the follow-up BlackBerry. And that was for a podcast episode this past year. And I also read Cadence by Pete Williams for the second time. And I'll say this. If you like the E-Myth, then Cadence is a really good follow-up book. And I would also say if you are in the retail or e-commerce space, it's a fun, it's a fun, quick, fast uh, read. So that's it for our books on the rereads bucket. Oh, so you're going to pepper in some controversy with some books you didn't like. Is that correct? Well, not really, because there's one book I really disliked. And if I were to include it and talk about it now, we would definitely have a controversy. So no controversy. So I'll just get started by saying the first title on this list is The Accountant's Story. It's written by the brother of the infamous Pablo Escobar, who made billions selling and distributing uh, cocaine. Was it from the country Colombia? The brother tells his and his brother's story, and not once, not once did he say, we ruined lives. Not once did he ever say, we were wrong. 
We made horrendous mistakes. There's no remorse ever mentioned in the book. That part was all pudding, and that's why it's on my do not like list. Looks like you're going to talk about The Power Broker. Wasn't that a classic? Well, it, it is, and I actually started a couple of years ago. I think I got through about 300 pages, and I, and I just, for whatever reason, I stopped. There are a lot of people in the Farnham Street tribe that love, love this book. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to go ahead bite the bullet. So I invested a lot of time in this book and I'm sorry, New York, New York. I don't like Robert Moses. And it's a 1300 page book that goes into the minutia of how Moses got and kept his power, which by the way, we learned a little bit more than halfway through uh, the book. But here's my opinion. If you want to learn about Moses, but don't want to read this brick of a book that I would go to the book working by the same author, Robert Caro. It's the first, probably the closest thing you'll ever get to a, a, an autobiography of the author. But he, he talks about certain passages of the book, the power broker. And it's also the, it's, it's also a, a book where we get into some of his stories about writing about, LBJ. And as you know, I think he has, is it a trilogy or is it now four books on LBJ? So that part was very rewarding. So if you don't want to read Power Broker, then read Working uh, by Robert uh, Caro. So it looks like we're about to wrap up here. Is it too early to talk about 2023? Oh, not at all. The first book I finished in 2023 Uh, just actually a few days ago, was Let It Go. And UK listeners, you know her as one of Britain's most beloved philanthropists. Her name is Stephanie Shirley. She goes by Steve. And she was a pioneer in more ways than one. Freelancing. Was freelancing even a term in the 1990s? Probably. What about freelancing the 1980s? I don't know. 1970s? Well, what about the 1960s? I'm not for sure if that was a, a, a widely used term in business vernacular, freelancing in the 1960s. Oh, by the way, add women computer programmers. Oh, fixed price contracts. So we have freelancing, women programmers, fixed price contracts. Uh, how in the world could I have missed this story? And the book is so, so human. It's a story of triumph. We have hardship. There's tragedy. Uh, We learn that family still came first as uh, Steve and her husband are raising an autistic child, which was problematic at many times. So it's, it's, it's a great book, inspiring. And by the way, we don't have a date set, but it appears she'll be visiting with us sometime, sometime this year on the show. Uh, Let It Go by Stephanie Shirley, five stars. That sounds good. Well, this has been great. I know you're not the kind of person that likes answering all these questions, being the person you know, in the interview, but it's been really enjoyable getting to hear your take on your favorite books from this last year. Drew, thank you. You are listening to CFO Bookshelf, lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now, back to our host, Mark Gandy. G2, thank you for anchoring this conversation. And you are right. I would rather be asking the questions. What 
were your favorite books in 2022? I would like to know. Thank you for listening and the feedback you've been providing me this past year on LinkedIn. I'll ask again, if you like the show, please tell a friend, a colleague, and give it a like wherever you listen. I'm Mark Gandy for CFO Bookshelf. <laughs>